Exodus 16. We uh, are ending our discussion today of God's omnipresence, which is Him being Lord of space. (laughs) He's Lord of time. He's Lord of space. And just like time, He's over it. He's outside of it. (laughs) So He's outside of space. He created it and all things in it. And as such, he has, uh, he lords over it. So he's the reason space and matter exists, just as much as the reason time exists, as you and I experience it. But he also, as he did with time, he entered into it. We talk about him being here, in this place, now, in this time. He is the God that is here and now. Uh, in And he has humbled himself to reveal himself in space and in time. And when he does that, he does that as its Lord. And he's not limited by it. He has has power in space and in time. And he is not limited in any of the ways in space that you and I are limited in. He is present at all points. I can't be two places at once. He's at all places, at all points in time. Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you and never forsake you. And that is the the grand uh, truth there. So what we started talking about last week was the idea that God manifests himself particularly. Hey, Christy. How are you? Uh, God manifests himself particularly in specific places. Uh, we, talked about, um, we talked about how he reveals himself. So he is, he is in all places, but yet he is chosen in specific places to make his presence known. So as such, um, well, I want to talk today about... His glory. The glory of God. And I know you all can't see it, but I can see it, and it makes me feel better as we're teaching to actually write something down. So I'll move it a little bit closer. So the glory of God. Now, essentially, God is, well, as it says in 1 Timothy 1.17, uh, Jimmy's favorite verse there, Uh, unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible. So God is essentially invisible. I mean, he's not able to be seen by us. Uh, No man has seen God at any time, John 1.18. God is essentially invisible, but in important ways he makes himself visible. So when we talk about... uh, when we talk about the invisibility of God, that does not mean he cannot manifest himself or has the ability to manifest himself in specific ways and at specific times. Or as Hebrews chapter 1, 1 says, God who in sundry times and in diverse ways, or various ways and various <laughs> uh, times, spoke to the prophets. He manifested himself. Um, so... We talk about the visibility of God as his 
glory. What we can see of God is his glory. So when we talk about God being visible, being manifest. So God's glory as a divine attribute, and again I'm using John Frame's systematic theology in this lesson as kind of the springboard, uh, is related to this idea of his visibility. Now there are various ways we could talk about glory. Uh, glory as a verb, we talk about glorifying God, for instance, um, or, or giving God glory. We talk about, we use it often as an adjective, uh, glorious, uh, but it's most common terms, in uh, those terms are the most common to us in, our, in Christianity. But what does it mean to glorify God or to seek God's glory, to seek his manifest Present. There, there is a lot of words um, that are used in this instance in the scriptures. In Hebrew, the, in Hebrew, the uh, the most common word is kabod. Um, that is the word for glory. Uh, not unto us, but uh, not unto us, Lord. Not unto us, but unto your name give glory. Uh, um, that, that idea there is the kabod. Uh, in in Greek, we can use a lot of words. Anybody ever heard? We're, we'll probably sing the doxology later. Doxa uh, is is a word that is used in the Greek for this. But most you, um, uh, team A, you, uh, other words is also used. But those are usually the ones that are used in the Old and New Testament to speak about His glory. And what they carry with it is this idea of wealth and I'm putting these words together, or riches. Wealth or riches. Or, and it could also be translated often as reputation, splendor, or honor. The honor of God, the splendor of God. Now, let's talk a little bit about how God manifests his glory. Uh, how the God that is outside of space and time, Lord over space and time, creator of space and time, enters into space and the invisible God becomes visible to us, manifests to us. In what ways do we speak about that in the scriptures? So let me erase this a little bit so I can write the line down. All right. One we've talked about quite a bit in the last week or so is theophany. Anybody remember what theophany is? Learning some theological words here. Theophany. Theos, God, phan, uh, uh, to, uh, that is uh, visibility, to, to see, so to see God. We also talk about Christophanies sometimes. We would use that term, Christ being seen before he was ever incarnate. Uh, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he uh, uh, and, and I can't remember how to quote the rest of it, but this is the idea that there were theophanies. God made himself known. And, and there was his, his theophanic presence where he had made himself known to Israel in various ways and various times. And that is most often called the glory of God. And turn to Exodus 16. Let's see this. Exodus 16.
And let's just read a few verses, starting in verse 6. Exodus 16, 6. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At Eden, that's evening time, then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give unto you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord hears your murmurings, and ye murmur against him. And what are ye? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, saying, Unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So here we have that theophany. We talked a lot about this last week. He appeared in the burning bush. He appeared in the, in the cloud and in the pillar of fire. He appeared uh, in various ways. Here he appears in the cloud, this bright theophany. Uh, uh, we would talk about the term uh, Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory. Where, what is that? What is that describing, the Shekinah glory of God? Where was that found? In the temple, behind the veil, above the cherubims of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and th so God was becoming visible. He, he, the glory of God was seen in these things. So we have God's glory manifest in theophany. We have... God's glory as also, well, as his presence. Uh, glory is sim simply the created light that emerges from that theophany. Uh, glory is something that accompanies God being, in a special way, present to us or to his people. We don't think of it in this sense as being like a divine attribute, but, uh, but a manifestation of a divine attribute. Whatever way he manifests himself, we call that glory. Uh, glory can, can refer not only to the created light surrounding God. Go over to, go over to 1 John, for instance. Uh, I meant to read this at first, but oh well, it's a little out of order, but let's, let's, let's see uh, Let's get into this a little bit. Verse 5, Then this then is the message, 1 John 1, 5, uh, This then is the message which ye have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. God is love here, God is light here. Is, uh, and in him is no darkness at all, so we we predicate this idea of light. What does that mean? He's a manifesting God. He is a revealing God. He his very nature is making himself known to his people. Uh, God Himself is present with His people and makes His presence known. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness of power and the glory and the victory and the man majesty for all that is in heaven and is earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. So. 
uh, he is exalted in his presence. Um, uh, John 17, verse 5, let's look at that. Uh, remind ourselves that Jesus Christ, Isaiah said, Yahweh, the Old in the Old Testament there to Isaiah said, My glory will I not give to another. I am God, and my glory will I not give to another. Here in the prayer of John, Jesus Christ himself shares in that glory eternally. And now, O oh Father, John 17, oh five, 17 uh, 5, remind ourselves a little bit, uh, if you're uh, those in Islam and Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and others that deny the deity of Christ usually stop reading in verse 3 of this chapter where it says, and this is life eternal, that you might know that where Jesus is praying, uh, that they might know thee, the only true God. And they say, see, Jesus Christ said the Father is the only true God. Well, Jesus Christ praying as a man was not an atheist. <laughs> he was a monotheist. And I, I think uh, James White always points that out as he's reading through this. But they usually stop here because verse 5 goes on and says, And now, O Father, Christ praying, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was Jesus Christ is more than a man he's more than an angel he shares the very glory of God with the father and and that is something that can't fit neatly into a package there but Jesus Christ is the very glory of God uh, Hebrews chapter 1 for instance calls him the expressed glory of God's person um, so he is called the Lord of glory Jesus Christ James chapter 5, for instance, or not 5, but James chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory, according to James. Um, and the Son of Man was glorified in the gospel and glorified the Father in the gospel. They shared in the glory of the gospel together, and that is uh, the glory of the theophany. So let's, I want to move on. So we have him revealed in theophany. We also have him revealed. The glory of God is seen in creation. Some of you all have probably memorized part of Psalm 19 at one point in time. Um, the heavens declare. What's a, how's it go? <laughs> uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, Leslie was Leslie got it. Everyone else is uh, misses the brownie point for it, I guess. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no voice nor language where the uh, where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. In them, as He said, a tabernacle for the sun. So on, so forth. And it gets into the law of the Lord being perfect and all that. But the heavens declare the glory of God. The in Romans chapter 1, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being revealed in the things that he has made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So I don't want to spend too much time because we talked about God in providence, working all things, but God is manifest in his creation at all points. Uh, his glory is seen to all. Uh, and 
we can bring out a lot. Uh, when I consider thy heaven, Psalm 8, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? And so on. So, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And we can go into all those. The fact is, is when we see creation, we know that there is a, a splendidness, a glory to creation that is not in and of, this, in and of creation itself. That's why... Uh, that's why when you see a sunset, you see it as something sublime. It's not just a ball of fire sinking down and sinking down below the horizon. It's created order, and we gasp sometime at it. And how awful it is for the atheist to say that we have no one to thank for it. Amen. We all we all already know. So the glory of God is seen in theophany. The glory of God is seen in creation. Uh, but when we're also speaking of the glory of God, we're talking about His reputation. The reputation of God. The reputation of God. Adam's sin, how it mars his glory. So there, God has made himself known in a sinful context. And God is redeeming and restoring his glory in this marred creation. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen talks about us encountering God and being changed by it. Uh, no one's ever encountered God and not been changed by God. Uh, Jacob, we limped forever, <laughs> on halted on his thigh. It says where God had touched him, uh, but but we're changed by God. Um, I made that reference, but Second Corinthians chapter three. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, that is, we believers, all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. God's changing us as we behold his glory. So, when considering this, um, we talk about God being a restoring God. Um, the creation returning and re returning glory back to him as part of it. Uh, we, we find this language a lot. And I'm always perplexed about it. by Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. Exactly how do you bless the Lord? <laughs> um, I, how, how do you glorify the one that has all glory? Um, the, the, these are the impossible terms. But what, what, what does this mean when we're answering the change his glory brings to us? We glorify uh, him in, in those things. Um, there is an ethical obligation for us to glorify God. But we want to, and we want that glory to shine upon us. I, we, we think of the, I'm going back to the, the language of Psalms quite a bit here. Uh, Cause thy face to shine upon us and we shall be saved. <laughs> As, uh, I forget exactly the uh, exact psalm. It's like Psalm 85 or something like that. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Uh, so we can't increase his glory. We're dependent upon his glory for all that is, for, for, for all that rescues us, saves us, and all, all that. 
Um, but when we speak truly of that glory, and when we become obedient to him in all things, we enhance his reputation on earth. And, in, in, and it's amazingly so, not only on earth, but even among the angels. You ever seen that? Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now, and to make all men see what is the fellowship, verse 9, of the mystery which was from the beginning of the world was hid in God, uh, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So we are declaring his glory. We are declaring his blessedness. We are declaring these things. Uh, and we are purposed to do so. Jesus Christ said, he says, God is light and him is no darkness at all. And then in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus Christ say about you? You're the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. We are showing the glory of God in ourselves. Uh, and I just noted a mistake in John Frame's book here. He quoted. He said that was quoted from Matthew 4. Ha, ah, I should write him <laughs> like he cares. Um, so th think about uh, uh, later on, I'm sure we'll sing the doxology, especially if the folks from Redeeming Grace are here because they said they love singing the doxology at the at, the ser at their services, but what are we doing in the doxology? We are speaking glory. Doxology, dox, glory, logos, speak, speech. We are declaring the glory of God in doing so. So how do we glorify God? How do we glorify God by, by considering the reputation of God, enhancing and speaking of the, of the re reputation and the character of our God, lifting it up before all that all indeed may see. And then there's, of course, the God, there is the glory. Here's, if we're going to pick a number four. There is a glory that belongs to the Trinity itself. And everything that we're talking about, we're talking about God revealing himself in creation or within creation, God revealing himself in creation, God, God, um, God allowing us to be changed by that glory and reflect that glory in the creation as well. But all of this is dependent upon creation. But we have to realize that God's glory precedes the creation itself. It goes before it. God had a glory all his own. And that's really kind of what Jesus Christ was talking about in John chapter 17. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before anything was even created. I don't know how people read that and think, in, and think that Christ is some kind of created creature. Uh, he's not. But there is a glory that belongs to God. He, didn't need, he did not need creation to share that glory. And while we spent a good while, I think we spent like six months just talking about the Trinity and, and uh, as, as I feel my time drawing short, um, we won't have time to get back into the minutiae of the Trinity again, but there is, there is a fellowship 
whereby they were honoring and glorifying and sharing glory one with another, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost before, before the earth was. The glory of the Trinity. Uh, we are no longer talking about the glory manifest in creation. We are talking about the glory that is God God uh, making himself. We, we, and we are called upon to even imitate that very thing. Uh, the Father does glorify himself, but when he does, he does, he does this by glorifying the Son and the Spirit and by glorifying his people and so on. And we become sharers of that glory. And we are asked to imitate that very thing. How do we imitate that in the church? Uh, when you're talking about when we're talking about the glory that is shared here, we're talking about it something in a mystery. But we have have things that are revealed about it. Uh, what is the church in and of itself is meant to be a manifestation of that very fellowship. God is light, and Him is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Uh, we can walk in the light, we can fellowship in the light, and we can do those things. Uh, we can glorify uh, one another, as do the persons of the Trinity, meaning that we can love one another, serve one another, praise one another, honor one another, um, enhance one another's reputation. Um, all within the confines of us being changed from glory to glory. So that's just a little bit about the glory of God. Um, we got a few minutes. I want to come back and just tie this all together. This whole discussion of him being Lord of space, not limited in any way of space like you and I are, just like he was Lord of uh, time, being eternal. So he's Lord of space, being omnipresent. We remember that God is spirit. That's what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 4. And we worship him in spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we talked a little bit about what, what does that mean, that God does not have the qualities that limit you and I. Uh, we're physical, right? Uh, I'm limited to this time, this space. I can only be here and now, but God is here. Uh, but I can't be two places at once and things like that. Uh, what we, we touched a little bit, a bit on this last week, but John chapter 4 she said, you all say we worship in this mountain or uh, in the mountain in Jerusalem. We worship here in this mountain. And he said the time is coming that they will neither in this mountain nor in uh, Jerusalem worship the Lord. But those that worship the, or God, worship the Lord must worship him in truth and in spirit for God is spirit. Now, we have often taken that as meaning that he is incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. Uh, and the Mormons, <laughs> of course, go the other direction and say, well, God not only has a body, but he is very physical, just like you and me, and so on and so forth. Uh, that, that is definitely contrary to what Christ was saying here. God is a spirit. Uh, but we talk, well, does that simply mean that God is incorporeal and invisible? 
uh, that God, uh, or as Jesus Christ, the Spirit does not have hands and, and, and uh, things like that as you see me have in Luke 24. Um, so, but I think it speaks a lot more about the incorporate than just him being incorporeal. Uh, the scripture identifies theophany with the very Spirit of God. Now, it, and it gets very difficult. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit um, uh, we call him the Holy Spirit, but when we're talking about God as Spirit, we are talking about uh, the spirituality of his very nature. And I think it would be good for us to look a little bit about what the Spirit does. All right, so think about the glory cloud of the Old Testament, that's that uh, cloud that, that, that led the people, the children of Israel, had the manifest presence. We just read a little bit about it in Exodus chapter 16. But what we have there is something, is this idea like a glory. When we speak of clouds, when we speak of wind, when we speak of breath, we're speaking of, of that idea of spirit, uh, at least of being something like those things. Um, as the cloud rested on the tabernacle, as the cloud entered into the temple, the spirit indwells those that believe. We are the temple of the spirit in, for, uh, in that aspect. Um, as his presence in the cloud empowered his people, gave them direction, and I'm reading specifically from frame here, accompanied with them blessing and judgment, so the spirit of God acts throughout scripture. Uh, God's spirit is his presence in the world. Um, and that is more specifically became, become corporally present when Christ was manifest or in, in the incarnation. But the spirit describes God's actions in the world. Uh, the word in Hebrew, uh, ruach. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's often, like I said, cloud, wind, breath, things like that are also translated that. In the Greek, we have that same idea, pneuma uh, or pneuma. <laughs> uh, we talk about the scriptures being theonoustos, uh, uh, God breathed. Uh, so, but what, what we're talking about in this idea of spirit is his activity in the world, the Spirit of God moved upon the faces of the water, said Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. It is this dynamic activity um, that, that permeates uh, God in, or cre permeates creation, uh, the presence of God in creation. And we have all these metaphors of wind and breath and things of that nature. Uh, Jesus Christ, for instance, talks about the wind blows where it lists. <laughs> I think it was uh, uh, Brother Ken and I were having a discussion about that uh, the other day in text, and and uh, and I had I went off on a tangent on it, and then he just stopped answering me. So then uh, uh, we never got back to the subject, but 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 the invisibility of it, the unpredictability of it. Uh, I, I like what I like what. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis, and hopefully I'll connect this as a thought without going too far off, but, it, but uh, we can't really put God into a box and say, here, you're, you're here, God. 
uh, C.S. Lewis talked about Aslan in, uh, in uh, the lion, witch, in the wardrobe. Uh, uh, um, uh, where he was likened unto, Christ was likened unto a lion there, and, and the author said, but he's not a tame lion. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're not able to put a leash on them, and, and direct, there, there is this invisibility, this unpredictability. The spirit gives new birth. The spirit communicates without breath, uh, accompanies the word of God to its destination. The spirit uh, speaks expressly. First uh, Timothy or First Timothy chapter four. Um, so this is not only true of prophecy, but in creation as well. Um, the word of the Lord. The, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath, the spirit of his mouth, all their host was created. Uh, so what we, what we would talk about when we talk about God being spirit is not meant much more than to say, well, God's not confined to a body, but God is active and powerfully at work. Uh, and we get back into what are we saying here? God is spirit, but God is Lord, and exercising all those aspects that we have connected with lordship. The spirit is powerful. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The spirit is power, uh, and it shows the power of our God working. He was working in creation by his spirit. The spirit moved upon the face of the uh, uh waters uh, uh, by the spirit of the Lord uh, the judges for instance showed strength among God's people uh, the spirit of the Lord moved upon Samson and he took the jawbone of an ass and destroyed the, the armies of the Philistines and things of that nature the spirit lifts people carries them away like he did um, uh, uh, Elijah and the spirit gives the, is the power of the preaching in the New Testament uh, you shall receive power after that the Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. He is still actively working. God is Spirit. And everywhere we take the gospel, the Spirit is working. So um, we have it related to his power. The Spirit is also related to his authority. The, the prophets spoke by the Spirit of God. And they spoke authoritatively. Um, the Spirit was the breath behind the very word that was given, given to us. It speak, the, the Spirit spoke to us through Jesus Christ, His apostles, the New Testament prophets, uh, bringing us the new covenant, the new relationship, uh, the, the, the new rev, covenant revelation. The Spirit who gives wisdom, He is, the, he is also the Spirit that gives wisdom. Uh, by the Spirit, we... we can know and do things. We can have both skill, practical skills and ethical understanding only by the Spirit. Uh, he raises men up by his wisdom. He gives, he gives them wisdom in battle in the scriptures. Many places you could, we've seen that when we were talking about his, God's providence working. He gives gifts to the church according to the needs of the church. Um, he has authority um, in the church. And then lastly, we see it as his presence. And that's really the heart of what he was saying to the woman at the well. Not here, not there, but everywhere. <laughs> uh, God.
God is spirit and will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. He has his covenant presence with us. The spirit is indwelling who? In here. <laughs> Every single believer. But not just here. The Spirit is indwelling every believer right now on the face of this entire planet. Uh, he, he is residing with his people. Therefore, Jesus Christ, because of the unity of the Trinity, can say, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That is, the Spirit of our God is present among us. So going back to the prayer of the psalm, Psalm 139, Whether, Where shall I go where you're not? Whither shall I flee from, thy, from your spirit? Where shall I go from your presence? Um, the spirit is, is uh, the one that gave life to Adam, and he's the one that gives spiritual life to us and enables the believers to grow in righteousness by his spirit. Uh, we, we are led by the spirit. We are, uh, we are kept by the spirit and so on and so forth. So it talks about his presence. So when we're talking about the spirit of God, the spirit of God when you're going throughout the scriptures is that presence of God working redemptively through time and through space as you go, as you go through the pages of scripture. So that sums up our lesson on the omnipresence of God. <laughs> Uh, next week, we're going to talk about something different. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? That was kind of a mishmash this morning, I know, but hopefully it kind of coalesced it all together. Yeah, he's been... He's been here and always he is the one that is and was and evermore shall be. That's right. Repentance is just what we do when we encounter God and realize that he's right and we're wrong. <laughs> uh, anything else? Well, if you all don't have anything, we got about 15 minutes before the next hour. Get you a cup of coffee downstairs or whatever you want to do, and we will uh, continue. Were you able to get that printed for me, Phil?